This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created the space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Hello, I hope you're all well and have had a lovely week. Our week started off perfectly and then... I've got a temperature and a really high temperature for three days so that was our week it's done and dusted he's coming out of it now thankfully um so I just want to chat to you a little bit about the event so I popped it up there on Instagram on Friday and I have decided to postpone the event until I can pin down a Saturday or Sunday and the reason being is I recently popped up a story asking should I live stream the event and so many people said yes because they can't make it. They can't make it because of childcare and um, a lot of teachers want to make it because they can't ask for what, the first Friday off in their in their return to work off and um, other commitments, life commitments, they, they can't make it. So I really want us all to feel the power of women coming together in one room. I want us to feel that energy. So I have refunded any of my guests who have bought a ticket. I've sent them an email and they have been so supportive and understanding. So I really appreciate that. And it's just a testament of the people who will be there. Hopefully, I'm kind of feeling the 12th of November is going to be a good date for us to come together. So um, watch the space. At the minute I have somewhere... I'm speaking somewhere in Dublin at the moment, but the minute I have it confirmed, I will let you all know. And um, I know just from my, the response I got on Instagram that everyone's like, yes, Saturday or Sunday makes way more sense. So I don't know why I picked a Friday. Um, a lot of places are actually booked up, booked up at the weekend. So I'm hoping I will find somewhere and I, and I will. Thank you for understanding. So to talk about this week's episode, I chat to Rachel who talks me through her two pregnancies and births. Rachel is an advocate of like maternity care, of women who need support, of people who don't speak English basically as well. She really tries to support people in 
a lot of a lot of ways people who come into the country and don't have English as first language and who go into the maternity care systems and have no idea what's going on because there isn't a translator uh, there to support them. So she talks me through a lot of what she does as well as her birth stories. She suffered terribly with hyperemesis with both babies. Um, she had two different experiences. One of them was pre-COVID and then her most recent experiences was in the height of COVID where she literally got to spend about an hour with her husband after her little girl was born. And there was a lot of angst there in the lead up. She was wondering, is her husband going to be let in? Does she have to put up a fight? Um, so just, I think a, a lot of you can relate to this story that uh, the, the emotions and the kind of stress and fear she was feeling in the lead up to the, her little girl's birth, although she didn't know the sex of either of her babies. I will tag Rachel in the show notes if you want to reach out to her directly. She's more than happy for you to do so. So enjoy this week's episode. So Rachel, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. Thank you for coming on tonight. I know this chat again has been a long time coming. I think we booked a date at the start of June. So it's great to finally sit down and have this chat. Yeah, it's wonderful to to finally be here. As you said, a few stomach bugs and uh, all the rest in between. Yeah. So do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and your family and then we'll talk about your birth stories? Yeah, so my name is Rachel Birmingham um, and I live with my husband David and my two little girls Maraid and Ella and we live in Limerick just outside the city Um, and I actually work as an immigration consultant by day um, and a migrants rights activist kind of in my spare time. Um, We also have a small vegetable farm that we do and we have CSA so we also try and get our organic veg out to people. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my life in a nutshell. Yeah, you said they're in your free time. I'm sure you don't. <laughs> We're yeah, all like, yeah. yeah, free time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a lot of that, I'm sure. You just make sure you, you make it. Yeah, yeah, we, we make it. We make it. We'll say that. <laughs> so talk to me about your first birth story. Um, Yeah, where to begin? Uh, As you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not originally from uh, Ireland. I'm from upstate New York in a really small rural town. Um, So I've been living here now, gosh, um, 12 years. So when I got pregnant with Ella, it was a bit of a kind of shock to the system, we'll say, um, because I suddenly realized oh, wait, I actually don't know how anything works here. Um, You know, I was so excited and we were so focused on me getting pregnant that there was no sort of thought of what happens when I do get pregnant? Like, what's the next step? Where do I go? Uh, So for me, that, yeah, that was then kind of this panicked search. Um, Thankfully, I have a, a family member who is a midwife and was able to kind of say, oh, well, you just go to the GP. That's your next step. And I was like, okay, well, nobody told me that. I mean, that's such a basic thing, but when you come in from outside, it's really hard to find information. Um, so that was kind of my first step into the world. I remember going to the first booking appointment, um, with my husband and we were just sitting there and sitting there waiting and waiting and finally looking around going, everyone has a big folder. Where did they get this big folder? We waited 45 minutes. Nobody said anything to us. We just kind of sat there like idiots, to be honest, not really sure what to do. Um, So that was kind of the beginning of my journey was just feeling a bit like an outsider. Yeah. Like I didn't know anything. Yeah. um, Eventually I was fine. You know, everything um, went well from that first booking appointment, but I just remember being really kind of in awe of the system um because everything is free 
And there's just sort of a sense with a lot of Irish women that, ah, sure, everybody knows how it works. Um, and I was kind of like, but I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know, uh, you know, like what is midwifery-led care? What, you know, we don't have midwives in the US. It's all, you know, obstetricians um, and you'll have your neonatal nurses, but we don't really have the same system. So for me, yeah, it was a, a bit of a, a shock kind of learning all of this the first time around. Um, but once I found out I was pregnant, obviously very excited, first baby, you know, you're so happy and yeah, excited as well, kind of trying to navigate the new system and learning all the ins and outs. Um, but unfortunately that kind of took a big step towards reality, we'll say a smack in the face as a, I have hyperemesis. So the beginning of both of my pregnancies are not fun for me. Mm. Uh, I'll say that it's three months solid of extreme nausea and extreme fatigue, um, headaches, migraines, um, just vomiting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure people have heard the stories um, from other women as well who suffer from it. It's really it's debilitating. Um, and as someone, again, who was new to the system, I, I didn't know any better. I thought that every woman experienced this at the beginning of pregnancy. And I just pushed myself to go to work every day, literally ate nothing but, we'll say, uh, you know, jello cup um, went in the office or try and force myself to eat a, a small thing of porridge that I would bring with me. Um, and I just kept thinking, oh, don't complain. Don't complain. Every woman goes through this like it's normal. Um, but as it progressed, I think I started to kind of realize, okay, this isn't normal. You know, this extreme form of nausea, this extreme fatigue, like other people aren't experiencing this. It was all sort of just like, oh, a little bit of nausea here. And they were eating full meals where I was sitting at the table, you know, during meetings at work, just literally willing myself not to get up to the toilet to puke. Um, so it, it was again, coming from a system that's very different where you have scans very early on, you see your doctor, you know, almost every other week in the beginning, it's um, a bit more hands-on. Whereas here, you don't see anybody. You see your GP when you have your positive pregnancy test, that's grand. They send it off. You're not really feeling anything at that point. You know, it's so early on. Um, and then you're not seen again until 12, 13, 14 weeks. Um, so by that point, I was coming out of it a bit. I was still pretty nauseous, but I wasn't vomiting every day. I was kind of, you know, my energy levels were, were picking back up a bit. Um, but I can remember seeing the consultant that day um, and kind of saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm still pretty nauseous. And, you know, I, I, I lost a good bit of weight. And they were kind of like, well, that's, it's grand. You know, it should be done. It, it, don't worry about it. <laughs> and that's all that was said to me. So I spent three months, you know, kind of trying to navigate this and my husband as well, my poor husband, you know, dropping me off to work, picking me up. I couldn't drive. I, I couldn't even take myself to work. Um, and we just didn't know any better. We thought that this was just something that yeah. everyone had to go through. Um, so yeah, it, it's something that I've kind of the second time around expected. Um, and we were all working from home then. So it was, I guess, a blessing in disguise the second time. Um, that I didn't have to even get out of my pajamas most days. You know, I could kind of just work from my bed. 
Um, and the other side of it is you had a child took after the second yeah, time around with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was it was tough. I'm not going to say that it was it was easier in some senses, but yeah, yeah. more difficult than others. Because um, then my husband basically was a, a lone parent for, again, three months until I'm able to even get out of the bedroom some of the days. Um, yeah. And on top of that, you have COVID, but uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll get to that because <laughs> that was a whole other uh, a whole other mess, we'll say, with COVID. Um, but after the booking appointment, my first Ella, um, all was good, everything good with the baby. Um, as I said, I did come out of the nausea, thankfully. Um, you know, I, my heart really breaks for the women that they don't come out of it. And it is a full nine months of just mm. feeling wretched um because mentally as well it just takes a toll you just feel like this like this can't be right you know I feel useless like you know I can't even make dinner for my husband or I can't get up and vacuum like I'm just laying here like a slob and just you don't even look pregnant at that point as well so it's just when you're out you know trying to do something like get groceries or put petrol in the car and people are looking at you it's like oh well I feel a bit weird because like nobody can tell I'm pregnant and they don't know why I look so disheveled or why I haven't been able to do anything. And there's also that unspoken rule that you don't tell anyone you're pregnant yeah. until 12 weeks, which I don't know where that came from, but um, I had to break that, you know, because there's no way, there's no way that I could have gone to work like that. Um, and people look at me and go like, well, what's going on with you? Like you're a shell of yourself. Um but everything was fine. Um, I had, thankfully, a really, besides that, relatively easy pregnancy with um, with my first. I I had um, a slight bit of pelvic girdle pain, nothing super intense. Um, I got the, the band. Probably you're trying to do too much again, you know, thinking that I was Wonder Woman and I needed to just push through everything. Um, but yeah, it was... It, I have to say compared to the second time around, it was probably more enjoyable. You know, it's your first, you're just really excited. Um, you're that bit younger, that bit more fit. Uh, so it didn't, didn't take as much of a toll as the second time around. Um, but the birth itself, um, yeah, it was, it was quick, very quick. I have to say, I'm very lucky that both of my uh, births were, under seven hours uh so when I had Ella my waters broke I will never forget um at half 11 at night and I got up and went oh hmm this is uh this is this is happening this is something um and she was 38 weeks and two days so she was a little bit early um nothing to panic about but yeah we just weren't really expecting it at that point in time um so I woke up my husband and he just kind of sat there, didn't say anything. Just, I'd say it was a good two or three minutes. And then he just went, oh, okay. Uh, right. <laughs> time, time to go. Um, we rang the hospital and they said, oh, it's your first baby. Uh, so, you know, just, just take it easy. Take a shower, eat a sandwich. You know, it's going to be a while. Don't worry. Just pop into us whenever you're ready. Like fully thinking that this was going to be, you know, a 24 hour event or something for me. Uh, so I said, okay, okay, that's, that's fine. I'll take a shower. We'll relax. We'll grab the bag. Thankfully had that all packed. Uh, 
And I can remember standing in the shower and going, oh no, no, we need to go now. <laughs> this is happening. It's time to go. Um, rushing into the hospital. Uh, we had to stop, I think, to get, we weren't, uh, it must have been, I don't know, bottles of water or something that we were like, we, we need to stop and we need to get this at the petrol station because we're only 15 minute drive from the hospital, if that. So I don't know what we were doing. Again, probably just a bit of excitement and tinged with panic as well. Uh, and sitting in that car and all of a sudden the real contraction starting and just going, oh, okay, yep, this is real. This is this is really happening. Um, ow, <laughs> this is not what I expected. Um, uh, yeah, so we got into the hospital and they put the trace on. That was all fine. Everything's good with baby. Um, you're progressing really well. And they kind of, again, just very calm, very kind of like, oh, you're one centimeter dilated. So let's just get you upstairs, get you booked in. You know, we can then maybe get you the ball or, you know, just very kind of, yeah, just very relaxed and almost like just when I look back on it now, they obviously thought like, gosh, she's a first time mom. Like she doesn't really know what's happening. Like we'll be here a while. It's okay. No need to, to rush anything. Um, so they took us up to the antenatal ward, got me a bed. Uh, and I remember standing there leaning on my husband and just saying, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I am in so much pain. I couldn't stand. I couldn't walk. I, all I wanted to do was just lie down and just like, I was literally shaking from head to toe. Um, so I begged the woman, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I haven't had any pain relief at this point. Um, and she's kind of looking at me like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you had some paracetamol? And I was like, what? <laughs> paracetamol? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, sure. Give me some of that. I was like, throw the whole bottle at me, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, took two of those. I'd say it was 15 minutes, if that. And I was like, no, God, please. No, I really, I, ne I need something. Like, this is just so intense. And she's like, and okay, we'll I give ask you a question. Sorry. Yeah. Did you attend any preparation classes? So apart from your regular antenatal class, did you do any hypnobirthing or childbirth um, or anything like that? No, I didn't. To be honest, it's not not really my jam. Um, I'm when I like I didn't know much about the hypnobirthing. It to be it seemed a bit kind of left field, which I know now after having a second baby, I know a bit more about it. Um, mm -hmm. And how I operate as a person is probably a bit like that anyway. I'm just sort of in my own head, you know, a very kind of focused, self-driven. So I don't know how much it would have benefited me anyway, because it's, it, yeah. it's kind of how I am. You know, I do remember them remarking like, oh, you're very, you're very calm and you're very kind of like in it um, for both my pregnant. And I was like, yeah, no, I just leave me alone. I've got this, like, just I'm in my own head. I don't need anybody cheering me on or saying, you know, go girl. Like I'd be like, please just stop talking. Shut up. <laughs> just, just leave me alone. I, I've got an inner monologue going already. You don't need to add to it. Like, uh, yeah. Um, so no, I hadn't done any classes and, uh, I think we only went to half of the antenatal classes <laughs> as well. Um, I didn't find them super helpful. I know they can be for some women, but, um, I actually like have quite a bit of experience with babies. So, my younger siblings are a bit younger than me. Um, my youngest brother is 13 years younger than me. Um, and I was actually in the room for all of them when they were born, oh, which cool. I know is quite unusual here because yeah. they go to the labor ward. Um, but in the US, you have your own room. So I was actually there um, and I got to see my mom give birth to all of them. Mm -hmm. 
yeah so I, I know a lot of people find that yeah they find it weird um but I think that prepared me more um than a class could have you know just actually seeing it happen seeing my own mom seeing how she reacted how quickly her births were you know I kind of knew that mine would be similar um so that was I think that yeah was much more of a help than you know the class with the the fake baby and they're sort of pushing it down the pelvis and you're like okay yeah well we all know how this works <laughs> we've we've had our sex education um I was like yeah that's that's not shocking to me um so yeah so the pain anyway I that was the one thing I think that for me in my head I was like I can do it you know the whole time through my pregnancy I was like yeah yep my mom did it my grandmother had 10 kids you know we got this we can do it and then when the pain started, I think that's when, yeah, the reality set in. And I was like, oh God, you know, this is actually like, they don't tell you how much this really hurts. I mean, they say it, but I don't think it really, you can't grasp it until it no. happens. No. <laughs> it's just like a full body. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're trying to push out a baby. It's, it's intense. Um, so they've, I finally said, look, I need something stronger. Paracetamol isn't doing it. I can't move. Um, like they'd got me the ball. They thought maybe, you know, if I sit on that and I was like, no, no, I can't sit. I can't sit. I could actually feel her coming down. And I was like, no, 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 I can't, I can't sit down. Um, so they finally gave me the shot of the, um, the pethidin, I think it's called, <laughs> but it took, I remember it taking forever. She wanted me to lean over onto my side. Um, so she could put it into my butt. <laughs> uh, but every time I moved, the pain was so intense and it would bring on a contraction that she couldn't do it. So eventually we kind of just looked at her and I was like, just do it. Just when you get the chance, like, don't wait for me. Just put that needle in my butt. Like, please, I need it. Um, so she said, all right, let's do it. Gave me the shot. Um, and then I kind of waited for that. And like I said, it literally for me was, I was shaking from head to toe. I was in so much pain. Um, and gave me the shot I kind of was able to calm down a little bit then you know um the pain was a little bit less I was still kind of you know really going with it um but after an hour I'd say I turned to my husband and I said I have to push I have to push this baby and he's there you know trying to ring the little button and no one's coming nothing's happening so he finally ran out the door ran down to the room and he was like uh my wife has to push like what do we do so they came down again, very calm, very nonchalant. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a look. Don't worry. We'll, we'll take a look there. Uh, just pulled my knees apart, stuck her head down there, you know, to have an, an old gander. And she went, oh, right. Can you walk? And I was like, um, yes, I, I think so. Why? And she's like, okay, we're going to go down to the labor ward now. Um, you're, you're, you're about maybe eight centimeters. And I was like, oh, okay. So we got down there had to stop, I swear, every two feet, the contractions were just really coming, um, but made it to the labor ward um, and, and everything was fine. I actually found out after I gave birth um, from the, the family member who is a midwife that I was actually fully dilated uh, and they didn't want to tell me because they didn't want me to panic. Okay. <laughs> so I kind of, what, yeah, had to literally water my way down and I, I'd say they were a bit like oh god please don't have this baby in the hallway um but I made it to the labor ward everything was fine um and it was probably an hour later that she was born um after some some good pushing yeah so it was quick it was 
half 11, my waters broke at home and she was born at 5 a.m., which I know it's not, you know, the fastest labor, but for your first, it was, yeah, yeah, it was pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and what position did you give birth to her in? I was on my back. Um, to be honest, that's the only thing I wanted. I just couldn't, like anytime I tried to go on my side or the thought of even trying to climb up, you know, on all fours or anything like that. Oh no, I just, it, it was almost as if every time I moved, this intense contraction would happen. And I was like, I just, I, I can't, I just have to lie here and I just have to try and, you know, push her out this way. I am. Yeah. There were, if you had told me to move then I probably would have like tried to choke you. Um, <laughs> not happening. I'm here. Just get her out. Um, I do remember that the consultant at that time when she came in was, what's the nicest way to say it? She didn't have the best demeanor. She was quite short with me. Um, I'd say it was probably the end of her shift, you know, 5 a.m. She was tired. Um, so I do have that is probably the not the nicest memory of the whole experience was her just being a bit sort of yeah sharp and I, she remarked at one point you know oh um very short perineum very short and I was like oh like is that a bad like is that a bad thing like what's going on I, I don't know I don't know and again the more that I've learned and you know looking back on that and thinking that wasn't really she didn't need to say that you know she didn't need to remark on it as it's happening and I'm trying to push and you know, um, I had agreed to an episiotomy because I am quite small um, and, you know, it, it needed to happen. And I had agreed to that and that was fine. But to be making those sort of remarks, you know, in the midst of it, it just, it doesn't kind of fill you with the calm or the everything, you know, the the space that you need to be in. Um, and it doesn't mean anything like your your perineum is the length that it is, you know. Um, but the way it came across was almost like I had done something wrong um, for have you know, just for the way that my body is. And again, I know she didn't mean anything by it. It's she was just probably remarking to the people around her as she's making the cut that, look, I don't have a lot of space for this, you know, to make this incision, et cetera. Um, that's the one thing I do remember. It, it's the things that kind of stick out to you mm. when you're when you're thinking back on it. Um to somebody else it might not have even have crossed their mind but yeah that's the one thing I was kind of thinking oh no like did I do something wrong should I not have pushed like I had no idea um at that point in time um so yeah, I was pushing and pushing anyway and um Ella's head was just slightly turned and because I was in so much pain and literally couldn't get up to move or couldn't reposition myself um I ended up having the kiwi and <laughs> If I thought dilating from, you know, one to 10 in the space of an hour was painful, the kiwi was uh, twice as bad, I would say. Yeah, that that really, really hurt. Um, I don't want to like scare any other women, you know, who are <laughs> possibly need one in the future. But I, I remember them putting that in and thinking, oh, my God, I am going to rip in half. Like, what is happening? Um, a push later, she was out. You know, it was very quick, but that was very sore. Um, so, again, looking back, I kind of wish that maybe if they had got me moving somehow um, earlier, 
that maybe her head wouldn't have been in that tilted position, but you never know, you know, you can't, it, it, she could still could have, maybe it was just the angle of my pelvis or however she was coming out. It was just that bit tilted, you know, that they had to do it. So yeah, dear God, that was painful. <laughs> so was there many people in the room with you then? At that um, stage? No, I don't think so. I think it was the, the consultant and two midwives. I think that was okay. it. It was just three of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't, there wasn't any sort of like panic or hectic or anything. It was just like, look, she's just tilted and it's, it's not going to happen without a bit of assistance. Um, now it's, it is one of those things that I do wonder, like I said, you know, could they have maybe got me moving or tried shifting or done something else? But I think at that point I had been pushing for an hour. So we just wanted to, to get the baby out. And obviously I did as well. You know, I was getting fatigued and just time to get it done. Um, yeah. But I, again, I like I said, I don't want to scare any poor women that they possibly need it in the future um, because it, it is needed in some instances, but yeah, that was um, not fun. But that was Ella quick and uh, yeah painful but quick so so when she came out did she come out and straight up onto your chest she did yes yeah, so okay. they, they took her out straight into my chest yeah I, I was pretty adamant about that that you know I wanted her straight on because I wanted to try breastfeeding um and yeah I just wanted her her straight on to me they um they took her out anyway though and they're holding her up and they said because we didn't find out the sex of the baby um we wanted to wait until I gave birth and they hold held her up and um they said oh look can you can you see what you have now? And we were all kind of looking at her, and I was like, "Oh, we can't tell." The umbilical yeah. cord had actually gone between her legs, so we okay. couldn't see. And they were looking at us like, "Okay, are you guys are you really that stupid?" Like, obviously <laughs> a baby girl. And then we were like, "No, we we can't we can't see what's there or what's not there." Um, so they finally moved it, and they said, "Oh, it's a baby girl." Um, so yeah, that was, and she was lovely and squishy um, and pink and. She was six pounds, nine ounces. So a little, little bundle. Um, but I was happy with that. You know, I think if she had been any bigger, I really would have struggled, um, you know, because I'm quite petite. So yeah, I think that's, that was the the biggest I could have um, handled at that point in time. Um, yeah, she was lovely and healthy. Um, did she latch on? She did straight away. I have to say, I've been very lucky with both of my girls. Um, with the breastfeeding, it's gone really well. Uh, so she's latched straight away. Um, and again, I have a family member um, who's a midwife. She actually was a lactation consultant at the time. So mm-hmm. extremely lucky, extremely lucky with that. I know so many women who have struggled um, and had really, really horrible experiences with it. But I have to say that mine was really good. Um, I will add the caveat that I think it was good due to my own personal circumstances and not uh, not from any education or support that I got from the hospital overall. Um, I know they do their best and they do have some, some really good um, women who work there. But I think in Ireland, yeah, there's, there's a huge gap there for, for what can be done, um, particularly if you have a baby that doesn't latch or... Mm-hmm. you know you're struggling with supply or you have any other issues um yeah that's but you know she was very good um good healthy baby I, I didn't like the fact that uh my husband had to leave again you know coming from the U.S. 
you stay in the room. Your husband stays with you, you know, as long as they want. They have maybe a pull-out couch or a chair or something, and they stay with you. They help you through the night. Uh, so I was really upset, you know, when he had to leave at the, the 8 p.m., 9 p.m., whatever it was at the time, and thinking, okay, what do I do with this baby now mm. all night on my own? You know, uh, at one point she was kind of gurgling a bit. Um, I, I rang the midwife and I was like, oh, no. And she wouldn't settle. And I was just kind of, you know, you're, you're still a bit in shock, you know, um, like that. It, it wasn't even 24 hours since my waters broke. And here I am holding a baby and like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I think I do, but y- you really don't. Um, but she got her settled and I, I can still to this day, thinking back on it, see the sky changing colors overnight through mm. the windows in the maternity yeah. um, and just going, when is the sun coming up? When is the sun coming up? Like, I need my husband. I, I just, I need to get out of here. Um, I was in a, a double room. So at some point during the night, they, they wheeled in the other woman who, God bless her, if she's out there listening to this, like, I hope that you <laughs> recovered well because she just had a really hard time. Um, but her coming in the middle of the night again, you know, kind of disrupting sleep and listening to her baby cry and just feeling feeling for her as well, you know, and like she's on her own at three, four o'clock in the morning after what sounded like a very difficult birth. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't want to go over and kind of um, annoy her, but you're, you're also kind of going, oh, I'd, I'd love to give some comfort or I'd love yeah, to say, uh-huh. you know, do you need anything? Like, you know, I'm right here or whatever. You know, do you need me to ring the bell for you? Are you okay? Um, and her poor baby crying and crying. And then that's of course then sets off your baby. And it's just this like, yeah, um, I didn't like that at all. So the next morning I said, is there any reason if I'm okay, if you know, Ella is okay. All of our checks are good. Can I just go home? Like, do I need to be here for another night? Like, is there anything that keeps me here? Like, again, in my naivety, like not knowing that, yeah, you can just, as long as the pediatrician has seen the baby, you know, it's, it's grand. You can leave. Mm -hmm. You don't have to stay here unless you want to, unless you want that, you know, extra 24 hours or whatever it is. Um, So we kind of went up to them and said, look, I'd like to go home. So yeah, that afternoon packed up, went home, all was good. And I have never been so happy to see the sight of my own bed after that night. I have to tell you, uh, it was just like, okay, uh, here we are. We're finally home. Let's do this. Let's, let's get going. Um, and she was, I have to say a really good baby, you know, um, she latched on the breastfeeding went well. We had a couple little hiccups as you do, um, mastitis once, um, and then we took her in with me at that time um, to get checked for the mastitis. And she was still a bit jaundiced. So they said, oh, how old is she? You know, um, what, what's going on here? That set off a cascade of events that as a new parent, you know, again, we, we probably could have put our foot down and said, no, she's fine. Um, she's been seen by the public health nurse. She's been seen by a midwife. Um, she has it in her face, her face only. Um, she's breastfed, so it's probably, you know, breastfed jaundice, um, nothing wrong with her appetite, no lethargy, you know, she's normal as can be peeing, pooing, all of the, you know, ticking all the boxes. Uh, but for about three weeks, we had to keep going in and getting her bloods taken. Um, you know, and I still feel bad about that, that I didn't sort of say, 
no, she's, she's grand because every single pediatrician that saw her and it was a different one each time was, oh no, she's grand. She's grand. Oh, but you know what? Come back in a few days for more bloods just to be sure. And I was like, she's obviously fine. If every time the bloods are fine, every time the pediatrician says there's nothing wrong. So eventually uh, one of the pediatricians put his foot down and he was like, there's nothing wrong with your baby. Like, mm. this is ridiculous. You don't need to come again. So I was like, oh, thank you. Because that's validating as well as a parent that what you know and your instinct that something is fine for them to say it. You're like, okay, I, you know, I do know what I'm doing. We're okay. You know, and this, this is okay. We're, we're going to be fine. Um, yeah. And from then on, she was just flying colors. Really lucky, really lucky. Um, we made it to six months for breastfeeding, which I was pretty proud of. Um, a few weepy moments, as my husband will attest to at the end of it. You know, I wanted to go longer, but she just was too hungry for me. Um, I don't have the, the largest storage capacity in my breast, so I, I couldn't keep up with it anymore. It was getting to be every hour, you know, and I was like, no, <laughs> I just, I need my sleep and we need a bit of sanity. So we slowly transitioned then um, to the formula, but um, this time I made it while I'm still, she's almost a year and I'm, I'm still feeding kind of morning and night, which I'm really proud of. Um, but that was Ella. She's just turned three there a few, uh, last week. So she is a firecracker. If she ever hears this when she's older, she'll probably be like, dear God, mom, <laughs> you're so embarrassing. Yeah. So when did you decide to, or did you decide to start trying again to add to your family? We kind of, when Ella was about a year old, we had always said that we wanted to try for maybe three or four. Um, so when she was a year old, we said, okay, um, you know, we're not getting any younger. Um, we're I'm 33 this year. So at the time we said, yeah, we could probably should start trying. It took us about five months um, to conceive Ella. So we knew that it could take a little bit of time again. Um, which I know it's it's not that long, really, in the, in the scheme of things. But um, so, yeah, I think she was a year and we started trying and it was a bit difficult for me because you have that kind of biological clock ticking in the back of your head. You try not to, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think every month, you know, that you get that um, negative test, it's it just gnaws at you and you think, okay, if I'm not pregnant now, that means I'm not going to give birth then. So then you're just sort of looking at the calendar every month. Like, well, if I get pregnant now, then I'll give birth then. If I get pregnant now, I'll give, you just, you can't stop yourself as much as you try. And you're like, okay, well, and then the girls will be this far apart. But if I don't get pregnant till then, then they will be this. It's just, if I could go back in time and say anything to myself, it would be like, just don't worry about the timings as much as you want it to work out a certain way, like it will happen when it happens. Um, and I can hear myself now and I can, would say to myself like, Oh, shut up. Um, like it, it's so hard. You just, you, you so badly want it to happen and you want it to, to happen how you've imagined in your head. Um, so it took another, let's see, she was one in July um, and it was November. Um, and I can remember getting my period in November and going, okay, like I'm, you know, how long do we leave this? Like, we're getting a bit older. 
if it's more than six months, do we go and get tests? You know, um, I had done a bit of reading and, you know, everything should be fine, but there's that niggling feeling in the back of your head that, okay, I did have the Kiwi. I did have, you know, kind of a, a fast, intense birth. Are there any lasting issues that I don't know about? You know, is there something going on in there that wasn't picked up? You know, we don't have um, pelvic health, you know, as a standard part of your care after you mm. give birth. Um, so I started to kind of have those worries thinking, well, you know, did I have a birth injury that I'm not aware of? Did it somehow mess up my cycle? Did it, you know, what are all of these things going on? And you just start worrying each month that goes by, oh, is this a problem that I should really be be looking into? Um, yeah, so I got my period in November. And then I kind of, a couple of weeks after that, I had some slight spotting, which for me would be unusual. I would be pretty, pretty regular, you know, every four-ish weeks on the dot. Um, so I, I saw that and I was like, oh, well, again, I only had a baby a year ago. Like this is, yeah. who knows, whatever, stress, just thinking about it kind of brushed it off um and then it was around christmas time um just the the week before christmas so i'd had that period in november and then i'd kind of had the you know spawning whatever in the beginning of december and around christmas i was running around i was dropping off um some donations to to adapt in limerick and driving home I was like, oh, I'm very dizzy. Like, I just don't feel good. And I was like, you know what? I haven't really eaten anything all day. I need to go home and just have a, a sandwich or something and just rest for a minute, take it easy. Um, so I did that, kind of felt a little better, still wrecked, got up the next day. And I was like, oh, still kind of dizzy. First thought in my head, of course, is, oh my God, do I have COVID? <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Is this it? Because this was um, this was December 2020. Yeah, December 2020. So immediately, didn't even, pregnancy didn't even cross my mind, to be honest. I was just like, oh, no, okay, I need to go. Like, we didn't even have the antigen test at that point. And I was like, am I going to have to book a test? Like, I haven't been around anybody. Um, like just going back through everything, I was like, no, I wore a mask here. I wore a mask here. You know, it was really good. Um, and then again, the next day, we were kind of baking cookies as, as you do at Christmas. And I just sat down at the kitchen table and I was like, dude, I feel really weird. Like, I just feel kind of dizzy and tired and just a bit not right. And he, he kind of looked at me and said, well, why don't you take a pregnancy test? And I was like, sure, I had a period. Like, it can't be that, you know. We've kind of ruled that out just by, you know, I had a period. Um, so I said, fine, fine, go get a test. He came back and I took that. Uh, yeah, and just sat there and I looked at it and I went, oh, mm-hmm. right. Uh, this says I'm three weeks pregnant. <laughs> Like, okay, that's a little bit of a shock. Uh, what do we do now for Christmas? Because I was planning on having a, a lovely bottle of wine that I can no longer drink. Uh, so how do we hide this from everyone? Because it was literally, I think, I think it was Christmas Eve um, that I took the test. So uh, the next day, yeah, trying to just have the sip here, the sip there, you know, just yeah. to, to keep up the appearances as you do. So no one asks questions. Um, and come to find out my my lovely sister-in-laws were already tracking my alcohol consumption. <laughs> they always suss it <laughs> yes, out, don't they? They do. <laughs> they do. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 
that that was fine. And um, I think we just didn't really let it sink in because we were so focused on giving Ella a good Christmas, you know, that we didn't mm. really, we couldn't really process it that I was pregnant or didn't, it was just sort of the back of our minds. Um, and the fact that I had had a period, you know, and that I'd had some bleeding, I, I think we were both just kind of a, a bit hesitant to get excited that maybe, maybe it wasn't going to take, maybe there was mm-hmm. just an issue we didn't know about. Um, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, uh, so that was Christmas, and then um, that that following weekend, just you know, a few days later, um, yeah, I did start bleeding, and that's when I really the panic set in, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this is not good, you know, because um, it was quite heavy. So I rang um, rang my uh, family member who's a midwife, um, and said, look, I'm bleeding, you know, um, what do we do? Should I just go straight in? Should I ring? Because this is, again, the absolute height of COVID. So this was January uh, 2021 when everything was shut. Um, No partners in the hospitals at all, you know, um, just you couldn't go in. So I rang the maternity and I said, look, I'm very early days, probably six, maybe seven weeks pregnant, but I am bleeding a lot. And they were like, yeah come in come in so I went in and um yeah waited an hour and a half to be seen on my own completely on my own um bleeding and I was messaging a friend and I've told her this several times like like 
thank you so much for distracting me that whole time for messaging me back and forth on WhatsApp because all I could think was I'm I'm losing the baby. I'm sitting here on my own with, you know, two other women in masks, um, feeling very nauseous at this point, um, you know, which was not helping the situation. Um, yeah. And I was like, this is it. Like preparing myself mentally that when they did the scan, this was, you know, this could be the, the outcome. Um, so I, yeah, that was, that was tough. Um, at that point in time though, I think because COVID was so rampant, we just kind of knew that my husband wouldn't be allowed in. We didn't really question it. It was just, you know, um, it was that, that peak wave where everything was really bad. Um, didn't make it any easier, you know, um, and for him as well, you know, off with our daughter, you know, trying to keep his mind off of things, but also comfort me. Um, that was tough. So I finally got into see the, the midwives and they said, yeah, you know, ask all the general questions as they do. Have you had sex? And I said, Haha, are you kidding me? Um, who in their right mind is up for sex in early pregnancy? Like it's just not happening. Um, so yeah, I think trying to, to keep it light, just to keep myself, um, keep, keep my mind off of what could have been the, the terrible outcome. Um, I finally had the scan and had to get that awful, um, Oh, what's it called now? The the scan inside. My brain is gone now. At nine o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know the one I'm talking about. The internal scan. Internal, yeah, the internal scan. Yeah. The the name that I has, has gone from my brain now. Um, I had to have that because it was such an early. Um, I was so early on. But uh, thankfully. They were, I couldn't believe it. I still am amazed by ultrasounds um, and that technology because I was thinking, oh, it's, it's so early. How can they even see anything? And the doctor kind of putting that in and going, oh, look, look here, look at the screen. Um, you can see there the, the fetal pole. And I went, okay, okay. Um, and she was, bless her, so nice um, at a time when yeah, everything was so hard. Um, I can imagine mm. that she had to, to give some really bad news to women on their own. Um, but she put her hand on my knee and she kind of said, look, it's good for now, but you know, it's, it's early days and we, we can't guarantee. And she kind of was trying to, to reassure me and she kind of squeezed my knee. I mean, that was about all she could do at that point in time. You know, you can't really give hugs during COVID or, you know, even take your mask off for a smile and sent me home and said, come back in three days. We'll do another scan and we'll check. Um, and in the meantime, if it gets worse, if you have cramps, if you have, you know, if it doesn't stop, come back straight away. Um, and thank God it stopped that night. Um, I went back three days later, um, again, on my own, sitting in that waiting room. Um, and that time, I think, was when I started to get a bit angry, um, you know, at the restrictions, because here I am, again, coming back in, question mark over what's happening and um, no support you know my partner couldn't be there and um, and there was a poor woman in there just bawling her eyes out just sitting there in the waiting room just sobbing um I I don't know what happened you know you you can assume the worst um because she was visibly pregnant um and I, I just that that will never leave me you know sitting there and just 
not just for myself, but for the other women and seeing that and experiencing the fact that you can't, you can't comfort, you can't do anything. Um, and that she is trying to go through the hardest thing she'll ever go through by herself, you know, with, you know, what I assume was her, her partner on the phone. Um, I think that's when I started to get angry and I started to go, this is not right. I know we're in a pandemic, but something has to change. Some, you know, we, we can't, we can't do this to women. Um, it's, it's not okay. Um, so I went in for my scan then, and thankfully again, everything was fine, you know, um, all was good. So from then it was, look, um, just keep an eye on things, try and take it easy. Um, I think I took the week off of work just to, to wrap my head around everything that had happened. Um, and then just, yeah, stay away from anybody essentially with COVID um, try and isolate. Um, and if you're having any other issues, just come in straight away, you know, and, and they'll see me. Um, and then it was just three months of vomiting and vomiting and more vomiting, um, which I mentally tried to tell myself that this is a good thing, <laughs> that if I'm feeling this sick, then, you know, everything is okay with baby. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, um, that was kind of how I got myself through the worst of it. Um, and there was a week um, that I literally didn't leave the bed. I was so sick. Um, all these things they don't tell you about when you're, you know, blissfully trying to conceive your first and um, unaware of horrible, horrid constipation uh, that like is leaving you doubled over in pain. Um, yeah, vomiting so much that you just can't even bear the thought of a banana. Um, just trying not to get dehydrated. That was the big thing because I knew that if I wound up dehydrated, if I had to go in for an IV or if I had to go in to um, get fluids and things, then again, I'd be on my own. On your own, yeah. Um, and that really stuck with us the whole way through. Um, all the doctors, our GP, you know, the midwives on the phone, they were, they were lovely and they were trying the hardest, but I just, I couldn't bear the thought of going in on my own. I was like, I can't do it. I can't go in there and not see my daughter, not see my husband feeling this shitty, to be honest. Um, yeah. So my husband, God bless him, basically waited on me hand and foot for those three months until I was, you know, coming back into myself. Um, I, you must have felt incredibly low. Like we've all had a 24 hour bug mm. and that's bad. Yeah. So to feel like that consistently when you're also conscious of that little baby inside your stomach, I'm sure you're like, mm. are they getting mm. what they need? What of course they are. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. just so it, it's just, it, it's a, it's an, it's so much more complicated. Um, yeah, I can. Yeah. <sighs> I know that again, there are some women who have it even worse and, you know, they do end up hospitalized. They do end up um, having this the whole time. So it sounds terrible, but I count myself lucky that I do come out of it that mm. around 14 ish weeks. Um, yeah. I kind of, it's almost like a switch goes off um, in my body. And then all of a sudden it's, I would like to eat a whole pizza, please. Like give me all the food in sight. It, it's amazing that it can happen so quickly that mm. you go from literally yeah, hell on earth, you know, nausea and vomiting and all that to just like, I just want to eat all day, every day. Um, I find that a bit, a bit amazing that your body, you know, just, just does that. Um, 
but so that that was yeah it was a, it was a low point um it was really tough on me but it was also really tough you know on my husband trying to look after our toddler on his own um look after the house take care of everything take care of me you know making sure that I'm you know bringing in me and Gatorade and water and trying to make me any food that I could stomach and you know even just changing the sheets while I try and take a shower just so I can have a bit of you know a nice clean sheets to get back into um also then on top of that trying to do work mm. um as I said it was a bit easier that I was working from home I could stay in my robe if I needed to um, and I'm not gonna lie I was in my pajamas and my robe for about a month straight I just didn't put on clothes because what was the point you know mm. um I'm just gonna end up in the bathroom on you know as my mom used to say like praying to the porcelain god um so that it, it did make it a little bit easier that I wasn't trying to force myself to do something that I wasn't up for yeah um at the same time, though, I did have a very um, intense job. So I, at that time, for both my pregnancies, was the a legal officer for Doris, which is a, a migrants' rights NGO in, in Limerick. Um, so you're dealing with people who are refugees, asylum seekers, um, in really tough situations themselves, um, mm-hmm. and trying to deal with that stuff through COVID, um, and then on top of it, feeling you know, bad physically and mentally myself, um, that was that was hard. Um, and I was really lucky that my colleagues, you know, and my boss were really supportive. Um, and that's something that I kind of, I wish more women had in their workplace was this kind of support network and people who understand what you're going through and give you that space and, you know, kind of pick up any slack if, if they need to or like that, you know, they did start going back to the office at one point. Um, but I didn't, you know, I stayed home. I isolated because we just couldn't risk it with COVID. And, you know, there was, there was no point. Like I wasn't going anywhere near the office, you know, especially with the amount of people that we see on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just wasn't worth it for me. Um, but yeah, so when I had, like I said, I had that that scan in January. Um, and that's when it really kind of clicked for me, um, you know, that... The partner support element um, in particular with my work background, you know, in, in migrants' rights, um, that what is going on here for women who who don't speak English? Um, what's happening for them um, in this, you know, environment where they don't have their partner who, from my work, I know um, over the years, like I've supported, I don't know how many different women kind of in letters from the HSC or booking appointments or these kind of things. So that yeah that that kind of started to really piss me off to be honest that they obviously weren't getting the support they needed and what was happening in an emergency situation um when their partner isn't with them um and they're just sort of throwing a piece of paper saying here you go here's all your options you know is it in our language whatever um so I started kind of advocating and doing a lot of um campaigning and I um kind of through that um I know some of my family members kind of like to make fun of me because that's been my my personality and and who I am, you know, since I was a teenager, just kind of the shouting into the abyss kind of for for change. Um, but through all of that, I actually was connected to um, Linda and Women Ascend um, and the Better Maternity Care campaign and all the work they did. So 
Um, they did amazing work and they still are um, to this day kind of fighting for, for change and good change. Um, but through all of that, I also was interviewed um, on News Talk. Um, I was in the paper, I don't know how many times kind of recounting all of these stories and recounting, you know, scans and being very open about my own pregnancies, which I had never imagined. Um, I never thought that I would be giving interviews about very kind of intimate details about yourself and what's happening in your life. Um, but just to make those points that that partner support is so crucial. Um, and again, maybe because of my own situations with my pregnancies with the hyperemesis that I felt that I felt that maybe a bit more acutely um, than other women. Um, but kind of fast forward then. So I'm doing all this shouting, you know, from my, my bedroom at home. Um, cause I was literally, I wouldn't even go get groceries. Um, I was just isolating, uh, and about 20 ish weeks, 21, I was sitting there during the day and going, Oh, got a lot of shooting pain kind of underneath my stomach and down my leg. And I was, I probably just pulled a muscle, but you know what, like, should I go in? Should I get checked out? There's always that niggling thing in the back of your mind like am I just being a bit overcautious you know am I is it really an issue like do I want to bother somebody and whatever um but I said no you know what let's let's go in let's get it checked so I went in thinking it'll be 10 minutes in there they'll do the scan everything's fine you know and I'll come back out and we'll have pizza for dinner and it'll be grand um but when I went in um <laughs> went in, got the scan and I'm sitting there, you know, in the room. And it was, I can't, it was April or May, but it was quite warm in the maternity as it always is. It's, I don't know, do they have like the, yeah, the okay. heating set on lava setting or something, but sitting there kind of going, okay, okay, will you please hurry up? Um, and the consultant scanned me um, and he said, yep, that, that looks good. Baby's heartbeat is good. That's good. Baby's moving, whatever. And then he kind of paused and he went, hmm. I was like, what's a, what's a, hmm, that, that's not a good, hmm. Uh, and he said, oh, it looks like your, your cervix is, um, is shortened. And I was like, uh, okay, what does that mean? That doesn't sound like a good thing. And he was like, um, no, but you know, like we might just have to keep you in. So yeah, it's, it's, he, he turned around to get up, to leave the little room. Um, and those were his last words. We're like, oh, it's, you know what? Um, we might just have to keep you no panic. And he just kind of left. And I was like, oh, what? Like, what is going on? I don't know what that means, whatever. So then I had to get a COVID test and I had to do, you know, all of this as if I was being admitted. And he's like, I'll just, I'll go get another, you know, a, a second opinion. I was like, okay. Second consultant comes in, scans it. Oh, um, did you, did you have a full bladder when you came in? No, I didn't. I, you know, I went to the bathroom before I came in. Okay, well, drink this whole bottle of water and then we'll, we'll look at the scans again. So they looked at it and they went, hmm. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell. I don't know. I can't really see what the other consultant saw. Let me go get someone else. Third consultant comes in to take a look. And I was like, oh, dear God. So I'm sitting there, you know, in the middle of COVID with three doctors, a midwife, myself, chugging a bottle of water to try and fill up my bladder so I can get a better scan. Um, and then as I'm doing that, you know, and they're amazed and kind of 
I think, to be honest, they might have just been a little bit bored that there was no one in at that time mm -hmm. because they spent over an hour scanning my stomach and going, this is amazing. Like, you're so petite. We can see everything. Look, you can see this. And they were printing off pictures and like showing each other pictures of the baby. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, look, like, what is, is there something wrong? Like, <laughs> what is happening? And they're like, oh, well, maybe that was a shadow or maybe you were having, you know, a Braxton Hicks or something. And it just, your cervix just looked funny for whatever reason when he looked at it and um, fourth consultant finally came in at the end and said nope everything is fine you're fine but my god um almost two hours of uh thinking I was going to be admitted that yeah. I would have to be put on bed rest for the rest of my pregnancy um you know ringing my husband going can you bring stuff in and just a, a whirlwind of like panic and fear and oh I really don't want to be in this hospital like oh my god oh my god what is happening to no everything's fine just maybe take a week off work and put your feet up <laughs> I was like you've got to be kidding me so in the end it, it was all fine and I got a, a free anomaly scan out of it um which you know I guess was good <laughs> um but to not have my husband there through all of that I just got home and I was seething. I was so mad. I was like, this is insane. Like, I, you were telling me that I was going to be admitted possibly for the rest of my pregnancy and that my husband couldn't come in the door. I, yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that because I was just so mad, happy, obviously, that everything was fine with me. Everything's fine with baby. We're, you know, it's all good. Um, and that the baby looked really healthy and, you know, they couldn't see anything wrong at all, but just that, yeah, that roller coaster that you go through emotionally and mentally and thinking, okay, what is he going to do with a toddler? What am I going to do here? You know, um, what, what do I need him to bring? And, uh, like, can I go outside and like, you know, give him a hug? Is that, you know, are they going to like yell at me to come back? Like what it was just, it was unnecessary to put somebody through all of that. Um, and you know, at the end of everything, I did make a complaint and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, the other not so nice bit of what happened. Um, but it was after that point then that I went and I did some of those radio interviews and just put it out there. And I thought I shouldn't have to do this. I shouldn't have to go on the national news and say, this is what happened to me. And I went to the doctor and they told me my cervix was shortening and it was really shit. And my husband should have been there. And there are precautions you could take. And if COVID is an issue, why were there four consultants and a midwife in this tiny little room with me? You know, it just didn't make any sense. Um, yeah. And I was very angry. Um, but thankfully the rest of the pregnancy went fine other than, you know, the normal swollen feet, achy boobs you know we've all we've all been there where you just feel like oh god I'm so big and I'm so tired and can I just eat some ice cream and everyone leave me alone um and it was very hot last year it was so hot I, I was, can't even remember oh it was uh, we had about three weeks I'd say where I just wanted to like walk around naked because I was just a ball of sweat and I, I went in for one of my appointments and I said my feet are so swollen and like my legs are swollen and everything. And the midwife just kind of laughed and said, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, join the club. Everyone's swollen. It's disgusting outside. Um, 
put your feet in some ice water and I mean that's that's all you could really do um and did you feel so after you did those interviews did you take a break and did you allow yourself to kind of go into um labor and birth mode or did you constantly have this like bubbling um kind of thought of oh, I, I could possibly have to go in and well probably yeah will have to go in and do this on my own no it was always there yeah I, I'd say I was always compared to my pregnancy with Ella which you know I said hyperemesis aside was quite pleasant you know the excitement and you're you're happy and just the joy of it all and um, this time around it was it was like fighting an uphill battle every day. Mm. Um, and I know that's partly partly self-induced that I chose to be so vocal and I chose to, to kind of advocate and campaign. But for me, I couldn't just sit back and be worried. I needed to be doing something. When I think back on the whole thing, um, Maraid actually was breached from about 20 or so weeks on um, and she never turned, ever. So I, I do think, you know, was I kind of holding on to all of that tension the whole time, even though I did, you know, the spinning babies, I did the ball, I was taking walks, you know, you name it. I tried it bar standing on top of my head. She just didn't want to turn. Um, but was all of that stress from, you know, the, the partner restrictions and the vaccine and everything that was happening, was that manifesting in her not turning? You know, was that, um, I, yeah, it's something that you'll never be able to, to really change or figure out why. Um, there didn't really seem to be an answer. She was just stubborn and just didn't want to go head down. Um, I do, I do. So what was the plan there? Was there a conversation around that? Do they say, what were your preferences? Um, so I 100% did not want a section absolutely okay. did not want it um, again partly because of the partner restrictions but also because I knew the recovery time was so much longer um, and I had you know I already had a toddler and we had the farm you know and I just I am not a person that takes breaks I just can't I can't just you know take a few weeks and do nothing it's, it's not in my nature so the thought of not being able to drive for six weeks you know and all of this stuff I just no 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 um and all the other risks medically, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a major abdominal surgery. Um, and, you know, with breastfeeding as well, you know, that just makes it so much more difficult. Um, so I, I really didn't want it. So we, like I said, I tried spinning babies. I tried bouncing on the ball pretty much 24 seven, you know, whatever I could do. Um, she just wasn't turning. So it was about 30, uh, my 36 week appointment. Um, I went in and, it might depend a little bit sooner than that, but they said, we can try the ECV if you'd like, if she hasn't turned, but look, it's still over a month away. Like we're, we're not really worried at this point, like baby has room to turn. Um, so they said at my 37 week appointment, if she still hadn't turned, then they would look at scheduling the ECV for maybe the end of that week or sometime. Um, but as it turns out, we didn't make it to then. So I woke up kind of half two in the morning and I was 36 and six um, and my waters broke and I went, oh shit. <laughs> I knew she hadn't turned. I could just feel it. Like I was like, no, 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 please baby. Like I don't want a section. I don't want to do this. Like, okay. Um, and I did kind of sit there in the bathroom for 10 minutes just by myself, just going, 
all right, all right, let's like, okay, just going through every scenario in my head um, before I was ready. And then I went and I woke my husband up and he was like, oh, it's early. I was like, yeah, it's early, but time to go. We know the drill. Like Ella came fast. Let's, we, we need to go to the hospital now. Um, and I think we were also both gearing ourselves up for a fight and okay. knowing that he wasn't going to be let in. So I came in, we walked in the door and, and the kind of security guard person at the front desk was like, oh, how are we feeling tonight? And I was like, I want to punch you in the face. Uh, <laughs> I didn't say that to him, obviously. I was like, well, I'm feeling like I'm in labor. Like I'm here at the middle of the night. Like, what do you think I'm doing here? Um, and I said, you know, I'm 36-ish weeks. Um, can my husband please come in? And he was like, oh, no, sorry. He has to go back to the car park. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, my waters are broken. I'm, you know, preterm. This is an emergency presentation. You are supposed to let my husband in. And I just, we both just looked at him and we're like, there is literally not a single soul in the waiting room. We were the only people and they still wouldn't let him in. Uh, there was absolutely no COVID risk. Like he's my husband, you know, and we, we sleep in the same bedroom. We sleep in the same bed. Like, why can he not just come in when there's not even another person in here? There was no one in admissions and no one in the waiting room at 2 30, 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, so I said it again, like, are you sure he can't come in? Like, there's nobody here. No, I'm sorry. He has to go to the car park. I was like, look, I'm not in a place to argue this at this point in time. So you go outside, I'll go in, I'll get assessed, and then I'll call you and we will fight this then. Um, so I went in anyway, and they put on the trace. They kind of took a look. And at first they were like, oh, well, you said your water's broke. So um, can we do a, a vaginal exam just to see if you are in labor? And I was like, I don't think you need to do that. And sure enough, you know, I was like, ah, yeah, definitely my waters are broken. Like, you'll, you'll see that pretty clearly. Um, they took off my underwear and were like, oh, yeah, no, we don't need to do that. Like, you're, you're clearly in labor. And I was like, yeah, I know. Thank you. Been here before. Uh, so they put on the trace. Um, that seemed fine but the midwife came over kind of stuck her hands in the belly and said oh um, is babe, has baby turned and I was like I don't think so so she brought over the consultant who was there on call um, she had a feel as well and she was like no I, I don't I don't think baby has turned it feels like still breach so I said hold on we'll get um, one of the other consultants to come and we'll do a scan and we'll just confirm whether, you know, what position baby is in. So she went away, um, but then came back with a one-page laminated sheet of paper. I was like, uh, here's all the information on C-section. And I was like, um, okay, can my husband please come in here? You know, and at this point I'm in tears because I'm saying, I don't want a section. Like we haven't even scanned me yet. Like, why are you giving this to me? Um, and she was very nice to be fair to her, she did go out and ask, you know, could he come in? But then came back and said, no, no, I'm sorry. He's, he, they won't let him in. And I was like, why? Who won't let him in? I like, don't you can know. get him in. I don't know. There was not, and like I said, not a single other person in admissions or in the waiting room. It was dead empty. And I was just really angry. And I was like, look, let me call my husband. So I called him and I said, this is what's happening. We had already had a discussion about the fact that 
because you know the baby was breached then it might need a section if it happened to be in um you know like a transverse position or something that just mm, that yeah. couldn't be done so I said look I'm going to sign the papers but like I need you to know that I'm signing them you know I just couldn't believe that they were asking me to sign this paperwork without him present when mm. I'm very clearly having contractions like I'm, I'm not in a state to be taking in all that information and retaining it um, I really wanted him there to to read the risks and to be aware of it himself as well because like you know god forbid something goes wrong he has to be there and he has to like look after me um so I signed that anyway kind of very angrily and I was like okay whatever um and then the doctor came in and said okay let's go get the scan and it turns out that um Maraid was actually in the frank breach position um and I was very clearly you know dilating um I was having contractions so they stuck me in a chair and said okay we're gonna go up to the labor ward um maybe two minutes prior to that and um, I said look there's no one in the waiting room can my husband please come in and sit in the waiting room if you're telling me that like you know you're about to take me up to labor ward or there's a risk of an emergency section like he needs to be in here um and I just kind of put my foot down and I was like no I want my husband in here now so they said yeah he can come and he can sit in the waiting room um I was like if he's in the waiting room why can't he just be here next to me but like Mm. I look I fought that battle as a game um and probably not even five minutes then yeah it, it was when they put me in the chair and we kind of went up to the labor ward um and they were very um I guess like busy is the best word to describe it I think they were not used to someone kind of declining a section all along and pushing for a vaginal breech birth um and I have to say that the consultant um in the hospital where I went they are an expert in vaginal breech births and they stayed on two hours after their shift um just to make sure that everything was going okay and to direct the team and they were so calm so they literally just stood in the corner and were like, yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. Like you're, you're good. You know, baby's heartbeat is good. Your heartbeat is good. You're, you know, you're having contractions. They're getting closer together. You're fully dilated. No, like there was just no question of you can do this. Yeah, it was, it was intense. Um, I, I have a, a memory of the consultant kind of leaning in at one point, I put my head back and I was like, oh, I'm so exhausted. Like, she was just there. They kept saying it like, she's just there. She's just there. Like, you know, keep pushing or whatever. And your legs to the ceiling and, you know, um, midwives are massaging my calves because they kept cramping. And I was like, I'm just so tired. And he looked at me and he was like, well, you know, if you're too tired, we can just have a section. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> uh, that's all it took then, you know, a couple of pushes that she was out. Cause I was like, oh hell no. Like, no, we're doing it. Um, and did you feel her little toes when? No, because of the epidural, no. I couldn't really. That I think, for me, not having had um, one previously, it was a bit odd to push with it because. Yeah. Okay. You can't. Like I remember the consultant kind of putting her fist and trying to give me like pressure or something to feel that I was pushing towards because you can't you can't feel anything, which is weird. Whereas yeah. with Ella, it was just that that urge to push and that urge to bear down. And I didn't have that, which was bizarre to me. Um, but you know, I have to say like, they, they were all, 
as I said, kind of a mix of terrified and excited about it, but they were all mm. also very lovely. You know, they're, you know, the midwives just go above and beyond like that, like standing there massaging my calves and kind of really going at it, like, you're fine, you're fine. Um, she was born, yeah, straight onto my chest again. Um, and then they kind of took her away from it just to do the checks because she was breached just to make sure that everything was fine. But she was, again, a lovely, squishy little pink thing, six pounds, 10. Um, and I had a small epidural, I think, or um, episiotomy, which I think um, was even smaller than the, the first one I had, um, even though she was much you know, bigger in circumference because she came out kind of folded up in half. Um, but that was all lovely. Um, unfortunately, from there, things kind of went downhill. Um, so David had to leave after an hour. So after they put me into the antenatal ward, he had to go. And that was it. So I was, yeah, pretty upset. You're tired, you're hormonal, you're emotional. Um, and there goes your support. Goodbye. Mm. It's, um, I think, 11 or 12 o'clock. I won't see you again until, you know, his hour slot that he was allowed at 7 p.m. And then goodbye. I don't see you again until 7 p.m. the next night. Um, and because she was preterm, <clears throat> excuse me, they, she had to stay for a few days, um, just for checks. And it turns out then I think it was about 48 hours after she was born, they were checking her sugars incrementally. Um, and they were kind of all over the place. They were good one, you know, they test them and they'd be fine. And then the next one they'd be down and they test them again, you know, three hours later, and they might be up a little bit. So they were all over the shop and we needed to have three good readings in a row in order for us to say, yeah, you can go home. Um, and then when they came to do it that morning, I was like, this is great. You know, if this one is fine, we can go home in a few hours and we can just get out of here and get back to our happy bubble. But unfortunately, her sugars had dipped way too low um, and they had to take her straight to the NICU. And they rushed her away. This was at about eight or nine in the morning. Um, so my husband wasn't there all on my own. And they just left me for four hours. So the woman who took her to the NICU kind of rushed her off, said, do you consent to the glucodel? Do you consent to, you know, um, uh, an extra feed of formula and all this? And I said, of course I do. Like, you know, if her sugars mm -hmm. are that low, like, yeah. Um, but you're not really comprehending anything. It's just like, oh my God, what is happening? You're taking my baby. Um, she came back a few minutes later and said, okay, they've got her down there. When she is settled, the doctor will come up and see you and they'll explain everything and then you'll be able to go see her but they just need to to get her all set um and again it's one of those things looking back on it um like why did I not insist on going with them you know there's nothing stopping you kind of going down with them but yet it was made to sound like no 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 they will get baby ready and then they'll tell you yeah. um so I waited and waited and waited waited heard nothing uh, yeah, for four hours. So I re remember ringing my husband. He was like, well, just take a nap, you know, for an hour. I'm sure they'll come get you. Even if you're, you know, they'll wake you up. Like, don't worry. Everything will be fine. I'll see you at, you know, in the evening, just keep me updated. Um, and finally, when I woke up, I was like, they still haven't come to see me. Like what's going on? I need to feed her. Like I'm breastfeeding. Like what, why have they waited so long? Um, so I rang the midwife and I said, oh, yeah, you can just go down anytime. Like, did no one tell you? And I was like, 
no, no one told me. Um, and I was like, where is the NICU? <laughs> no one even told me where it was. Um, like nothing. So she's like, oh yeah, just the NICU is just there at their door. And then she kind of went off and that was that. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll just waddle down, you know, in my diaper and figure out what's mm-hmm. going on. Um, didn't even know like which part of the NICU she was in, which bed she was in. Like they told me nothing. Um, got down there and I said, you know, I'm looking for more age. Like what's, what's going on? And, and the woman, the midwife who was in there, she was so lovely. She was so nice. You know, she sat me down and she kind of explained everything. Um, and she, uh, you know, got me all set up. We did a feed and she said, look, you can come down anytime. You don't have to wait for us to ring you. Just if you want to come and sit, it's just that your partner can't come in, um, except for half an hour in the evening, um, which I really hated. I was like, I, this is ridiculous. Like this is his baby. Um, who is in the NICU and you're telling me he gets half an hour. And it was the same time as the timings for the visits to see me. I was like, so he either has to cut the visit with me short or cut her short. Like who designed this? Also, it's at a terrible time. If you have a toddler six to 8 PM, like, hello, bedtime, bath time, dinner. Um, but like what he's supposed to just not parent our other child as well. So yeah, really, really unhappy and just pissed off with the whole thing. Um, I actually, a few months after I gave birth, I did make a complaint to the hospital and I kind of wrote it all out and I said, you know, these are the issues and um, kind of, this is what I would like to see happen and to make sure this doesn't happen to somebody else that if you aren't going to allow partners in during the day, you need to ensure that somebody is sitting with that woman if this happens. Um, or even if partners are allowed in, like somebody should be there to be a liaison to, you know, kind of hold your hand until you know that baby is okay. And it's just not acceptable to leave somebody sitting like that. And the, the woman who was in the room with me, like, God bless her, you know, her child was also in NICU and she was comforting me and I was comforting her. And I just felt like this is, this is not right. Like we are both going through something really horrible why do we have to comfort each other? You know, our husbands should be here. Our partners should be here. You know, there should be someone coming in to check on us. And instead we're checking on each other. And, you know, it's, it's lovely in one way, but also that burden shouldn't fall on us. I shouldn't have to check on the woman next to me. Um, when I'm dealing with my own stuff. Um, so the complaint anyway, um, as I'm sure many women will know from, from, FOIing their um, or requesting their birth notes or making a complaint um, probably just made me angrier, to be honest, because I found out that while I was taking that nap or while I was resting, the NICU had actually called the desk um, on the ward and said, you know, um, Marie is looking for a breastfeed and no one came to get me. So they ended up just giving her formula, um, which I know that I had consented to at that point in time when she went down, but I didn't say they could continually keep giving it to her. Mm. Um, so I was pretty, pretty angry about that, that, you know, I, you know, I wasn't opposed to it overall that I knew she might need some top ups until her sugar is regulated, but to not come get me when they knew that I was breastfeeding. Um, I just, I don't understand. I don't know if it was again, a lack of communication between mm. staff, you know, switching or whatever happened, but like, 
that's unacceptable in my in my view um, and if that happened to me and I'm pretty vocal and I'm you know able to stick my head up and go hey what's going on and um, what's happening to women who aren't who aren't confident in themselves to mm. keep ringing the buzzer like I did like hey you said my husband's not going to be here so I'm going to ring this buzzer every 10 minutes for you to pick up my baby and for you to get this for me because you've taken that away from me um, now the midwives were lovely and you know but you could see they were exhausted and tired and overworked um, and really just you could see the beginnings of burnout in so many of them it was oh, yeah. really sad no doubt well thank you Rachel for sharing your story I think your your story is a really important listen and what you're doing is also really important so thank you so much for I suppose the work, work that you've done and you know it's not easy to be pregnant and advocate so loudly as you did so yeah it's appreciated I'm sure not only by me but by others if you would like to share your story you're more than welcome to you can get in touch over the website irelandsbirthstories.ie click the share your stories tab and I'll get back to you as soon as possible I think I'm up to date on um, any submissions that have been sent in the past few weeks so if I have missed you please do give me a nudge and let me know that I have and I will get back to you as soon as I can I am taking the entire month of September off I haven't taken four weeks off since I started this podcast two years ago so I'm excited to do so um we are just going to chill for the month of September I might go away just want to delete all social media and just spend some quality time with my family and my husband so as I said if you do want to get in touch get in touch now otherwise you'll be waiting till October November to hear back um, with a recording date okay enjoy your week and I will chat to you soon deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.